Hey everybody, Taylor Rotwell here, back with another Laravel snippet. Uh, it's the morning of February 1st here in the office. Happy February. I'm back with another uh, update on what's been going on in the Laravel world over the last week. So this week I actually made some changes to how I interact with Laravel PRs a little bit after getting some feedback um, on Twitter and other sites on the internet about how the process currently works. And uh, some changes I made were... Before, I actually was not reading GitHub notifications in any way at all. I never read them because there was just too many of them. Um, so what I did was actually go through all of the repositories I was watching, which was apparently like every repository ever I had ever been involved with. It was like over 70 repositories. And uh, turned that down to where I'm only getting uh, notifications if I'm specifically mentioned in the thread or I've participated in the thread instead of getting notified of sort of all activity. Um, so that actually cleaned up my notification uh, web view on github.com quite a bit. So I can actually keep up with responses to things after I've participated uh, better and just sort of have a better visual overview of what I need to uh, do. So I think that's going to help a lot. I also added some, um, some additional canned responses to when we have to close PRs um, just to provide people some feedback and sort of next steps uh, with their PR um, sometimes in the past, you know, I, I, sometimes you just don't know what to say to a pull request. It's just something that you don't want to add to the framework right now. And there's really nothing else to say about it. It's just, um, I don't know, you know, it's just hard to expand on that sometimes other than just kind of know. Um, so I tried to come up with some canned responses so that I could give a little bit more of a response other than, you know, we're not doing this right now, period. Um, so hopefully that, uh, makes that process a little better for everybody involved. I also tweeted a little bit about, you know, needing to sell PRs when you're contributing to a project. And I think the reason for that is, you know, on a big project, especially maintainers are sort of hesitant to take on new code. Um, you probably already have quite a bit of code to maintain, um, a lot of tests to maintain, and just a lot of users to, to keep happy. And so merging new code can be kind of scary because once it's merged, it sort of becomes the maintainer's problem and they're, um, it's their burden to maintain kind of. Uh, rarely does the person who originally wrote the PR, you know, come back and fix things over the long haul. Like they might in the first week or two, but you know, if you get a couple of years down the road, uh, that person may have moved on. They might not be even using PHP at all anymore. Um, I've actually had situations like that where I reached out to someone that had contributed and they were not even programming in PHP anymore and had no interest really, you know, in, in trying to figure something out. So it really, you have to assume it becomes your problem once you maintain it into the, or merge it into the core of your project. So that's why there's always some hesitancy um, to take on new code. It sort of has to have a nice bang for the buck. So the best pull requests are always sort of the most amount of user benefit on the least amount of code. And that's sort of the perfect ratio. And of course, the worst PRs are very small user benefit, but a lot of extra code to maintain. So you want to try to get as close to the good side of that ratio as possible when you're making a PR and really try to sell your PR, you know, how does this actually benefit the end user? Um, quite a few PRs, some are more like technical and it's not really clear how they're going to provide any benefit at all to the end user, how anyone's lives would be improved by this PR, um, other than just sort of some internal code formatting um, to the framework. So if you make a PR, really try to sell it and you know, sell how it's going to improve the framework's overall developer experience. I think because that's the main thing we're trying to improve. Um, 
Uh, me personally, I kept working on my new uh, project I've been working on. And one thing I wanted to mention was this sort of interesting approach I've been taking on this project um, where I actually have quite a few methods on eloquent models that I don't think people would expect to see. Um, so for example, um, in one case, I have a network object that represents kind of a network out on Amazon Web Services. And I needed to be able to grant or remove internet access to that network, to its private subnets, so that they can talk to the outside world or not. And so on the model, I actually have a method called network arrow grant internet access and network arrow remove internet access. And um, I think some people might expect, you know, an advanced application to see like network interface net provider service, add internet access or something like that. Some service class that you're passing a network to that does all of the work. And I sort of try to avoid that um, in my code as much as possible because um, I don't think it reads very well. And to me, it's just sort of like giving up on trying to find this elegant um, object oriented feeling design. And I actually think that even if you have a grant internet access on your network model, like that can always call out to some helper class behind the scenes that actually does some kind of complicated work. Um, even if you don't put everything in the eloquent model method, um, to me, that's still better than just sort of going to the service class by default. Um, another example of kind of avoiding service classes were, was where, um, I needed to format a bucket name for Amazon S3 and I needed some logic in there about how to format it properly and, um, sort of what to put into that bucket name. So, you know, some people might expect to have some sort of bucket name generator service or something like that, but I actually just made a class called bucket name. Um, so I try to make classes that are just, you know, represent exactly what they are. And then I might have like a bucket name for project static method on it. And that returns the bucket name properly formatted for that project. So I try to avoid all those service classes because I feel like when you have a lot of those service classes, the project takes on this really sort of, um, in this hard to explain way, this, this top down and procedural feel that reminds me a lot of just like when I used to write COBOL, it doesn't actually feel like this sort of rich collection of objects that can do useful things. It all feels like these, this sort of a collection of scripts that run, you know, just kind of top down, almost like bash scripts to do certain things. And so it kind of takes on this weird feeling to me, and I'm not sure I totally like that feeling or think it really reads very elegantly. Um, so I try to put everything in sort of nice, rich objects that can actually do useful things instead of sort of reaching out by default to these um, doer classes, you know, generator, or pro provider, all these service type classes. So anyway, just something I wanted to mention that I thought, you know, you might find interesting about how I personally work with Laravel. And the nice thing is everything's still uh, really easily tested, even when I do that, uh, mainly because of how I test, I think, at the right layer for um, what I'm trying to test. So a lot of my tests are just sort of entering through the controller, HTTP test in Laravel. So I'm calling, you know, this JSON and, and posting to a, um, a JSON endpoint. And I rarely really mock anything. I don't mock the database at all. Um, a lot of times I use a SQLite memory database, or in this case, I'm actually using a real MySQL database uh, because the tests still run acceptably fast. Um, all the tests on this project run in about 15 to 20 seconds, uh, which is which is pretty acceptable to me because I'm rarely actually running the entire suite. I use uh, Sublime Text shortcuts to run, for example, a single test method or a single file. 
and I'm only really running the entire suite at the end of sort of whatever I'm working on. I'm not sort of running the entire suite after every method, single method change. I would just run the, a single file or a single test method in that case. So that makes it really quick uh, to get feedback when I'm testing. So the only thing I actually mock in my project are calls to an outside service, for example, AWS. So I actually have one class called AWS test that has full integration tests with AWS and it actually makes calls out to AWS. But that's, of course, too slow and really not really practical to do in every single test. So the, I think the only thing I have mocked really is that. And then I'll use um, fakes for things like events or dispatching queued jobs and stuff like that. And I'll test those separately. But I don't mock a lot of uh, database access at all or, or anything else. I just sort of use the built-in fakes and just mock some external API calls. So anyway, that's just how I've been approaching a design and testing in this project a little bit and wanted to pass that along. Uh, Mohammed's been exploring some other uh, stuff related to this project with me, some Docker-related things. And Dries has been continuing to work on Horizon and Passport and the other Laravel open source libraries, which has been really helpful. And we're still gearing up for Laracon 2019. Actually worked on securing good Wi-Fi this year uh, for the event. Last year was a little tough on the Wi-Fi uh, perspective. Uh, the building's a little older. It's quite old, actually, and didn't have great Wi-Fi in our portion of the building. Uh, but this year in New York City, I've already got a quote on getting pretty good Wi-Fi throughout the building. So hopefully that will be much improved. We still have several more speakers to announce. Um, several are confirmed that I haven't just announced yet. And... We actually still need to decide on one or two more speakers entirely. So still some news to come um, around speakers. So keep an eye out for that. And I think that's about all I have to report this week. Thanks for listening. I did submit the podcast to iTunes and it was approved. So hopefully it should be showing up in your podcast search or pocket cast or whatever you use to listen to podcast. All right. I'll be back next week with another update. Thanks.